Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let me say first of all that uh, I was I was up in Indiana for the past uh, for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. Wednesday and Thursday, New Geneva Academy had a conference. Started Wednesday night, went through all Thursday till Thursday night, and uh, the the topic of that conference was old paths. So we had a number of people uh, lecturing on those old paths and, and trying to encourage shepherds in the work of the ministry by giving themselves not to what's newfangled, but just to the old paths, the, uh, the, the things written in the Word of God. And I would commend to all of you listening to those sermons from that uh, conference. They'll go up sometime soon, and I'll shoot out an email with links to those, and um, I think you will, be, uh, you will be blessed by them. And then on Friday, we had a, our uh, presbytery meeting. We have presbytery meetings three times a year, every four months. And we did the work that needed to be done. Three men came under care. Three New Geneva Academy students came under care. We had a man who was approved for licensure. We had a man from a church in Wisconsin move his credentials into Evangel Presbytery. We had some men there who are interested in planning churches with Evangel Presbytery, and so there's just a lot of a lot of potential for growth uh, in in the work. And it was a very encouraging time. And again, you would have been encouraged by the ministry of the Word. We we start all of those Presbytery meetings off with worship and the Lord's table, and the exhortation we received. Uh, that morning was very helpful. So helpful, I asked the pastor to send me the, the sermon so that I could preach it here this morning. Did you know pastors do that? Did you know there's a long tradition of pastors doing that? Now, I'm not preaching a sermon, but I stole the, the, the topic of his sermon and am presenting it in my own words and I've been so busy that this week's sermon is jotted down on yellow sheets, which is just not my style either. So, praise God. But I think this is very important. I think this is one of the most important things that I could preach. I think for me personally, it is very, very important. And so I want to begin this morning by confessing my sins to you. Hopefully none of you will mock me with laughter. Um, I have failed. One of my personal sins is I have failed to be an encourager. I'm a censorious person. I'm a judgmental person. I am censorious. I am not an encourager of the of the brothers. And my children have borne the brunt of that. They have suffered under my censoriousness. Okay? And my sons in particular have suffered under my critical spirit with them. 
And my just, my uh, littleness of soul to be able to uh, encourage them and build them up and tell them what I'm proud of and that I love them. So infrequently have they heard those words. This is a terrible sin. Um, I've failed to use words to build people up. I hold back praise. You know that feeling? When you recognize that somebody is doing something wonderful and then suddenly a spirit of envy or something creeps up and you're like, okay, they're not going to get my praise even though they clearly deserve that praise. We all struggle with this, right? Perhaps myself more than others. I hold back praise in my home. I hold back praise in this church. I just hold back praise in general. I do not practice affirmation. And so my children suffer under this sin. And I really do ask them to forgive me. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we may think of as one of the most intense writers, pastors, preachers, right? In all of Scripture, never fails to practice affirmation in every one of the letters that he writes to his beloved churches, except one. Which one does he not? Galatians. The Galatians get the full smackdown, right? The Galatians get hit hard because they are in danger of abandoning the faith and following the Judaizers. And so Paul's like, the Apostle Paul greetings, boom, how quickly you're abandoned. And the beginning of that letter does not have these commendations, but all the others do. All of his other letters begin with praise. All the other letters, he's just reveling in the glorious, glorious work of God in the saints. He's just like, you guys are great. I see God at work in you. I see God doing this and that. And so, Paul begins every letter he wrote, by, except for Galatians, by reminding his people who they are in Christ and by praising them. Praising God's work in them. And so let's look at them. Let's, let's just walk through them. I read the first one in Romans. Very brief, but it's there. To all who are beloved of God in Rome. God loves you. You're beloved of God. And then he says, called as saints. Right? And what are saints? Holy ones. You're saints. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You're, you're, you're beautiful in your holiness. First, I thank, and then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Your faith is so glorious. It's so strong that the whole world knows about this church. The whole world knows about you and your acts of faith. 1 Corinthians, this would be a good, good uh, sermon to have your Bibles open and flip through. It'll start dirtying the edges of your pa- you know, pages, which will get you some street cred, right? 
1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 9, to the church, and this is the church of the Corinthians. Someone is committing incest in this church. He has his father's wife, right? They're fighting at the Lord's table. They're, they, they're getting drunk at the Lord's table. And here's what the Apostle Paul leads with. To the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him. In all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Waiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, look at what he says there. He thanks God that they've been given grace, that they are in Christ, that they've been enriched in Him, that they have gifts and they're being used to the glory of Jesus Christ, and that they're going to be blameless when Jesus returns on the, on the day of the Lord. Blameless. The Corinthian church. Now, Paul's not a flatterer, right? From there on, he goes on to criticize them. <laughs> but he doesn't start with criticism, which is the burden most of us carry around, is the criticism comes first, and then we try to cope with our criticism by throwing in nothing praises. He starts with praise. He starts committed to their souls, right? Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 1, 1 through 7. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, all mercy, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you, you are sharers of our sufferings so also you are sharers of our comfort, right? You know the, the sufferings of the apostles, the great depth of them, and there he goes to that church that's kind of chaotic and kind of sinful and kind of messed up, and he says, you're sharing in our sufferings. You suffer as we do for your faith. What glorious encouragement to that body. Galatians is next, right? And it's not there. He just does the greeting, grace to you. He does mention that Christ 
has given, he says in four, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be glory forevermore, amen. And then bam, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Right to it. He is, he, he's intense. So there is not much present. Ephesians 1 1 to 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then jump down to 15, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, right? They had this faith. And they had this love that was intense. And he, he just praises them for it. Your faith is known. Your love is something that we give thanks to God for. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So he's got his mind on them. He's thinking about them. Always offering prayer with joy in my, my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge, in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Right? They're with him in his confirmation of the gospel. They're with him in prison. Their love is being demonstrated to him. And he's just like, you guys... You've been right with me. You've suffered. You've loved. You're glorious. Colossians. I am going to go through all of them. Colossians 1, 2-9. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow bonds, beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ Jesus on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit." Right? And so, they're, th- these guys, the Colossians are bearing fruit. These guys are just like constantly bearing fruit. And he says, right from the start of the gospel, you guys have been growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Wonderful. First Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God for always for all of you, 
making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything." For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. I mean, look at the praise in this, right? We constantly have on our mind the fact that your faith has been working and that that you have power in the Holy Spirit that has come with full conviction and that you became imitators of us and not just of us, of Jesus Christ. You became all these things and you turned from idols. What glory, right? What, what praiseworthy, what praiseworthiness. Second Thessalonians 1 At verse 2, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure." So here's this, this church, and, and Paul's going around to other churches, and he's like, man, i got to tell you about the Thessalonian church. They are suffering like eight times more than you guys are suffering, and guess what? They have faith, and they're persevering. They're following the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, they're, and not only that, their faith is growing in the midst of persecution. 1 Timothy, now these, these letters are to his fellow elders and pastors, in a sense, the leaders in the church, but it's still present here. 1 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, the, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you think that Timothy's heart swelled in him when he heard the Apostle Paul refer to him as my true child in the faith? He probably could have knocked down a wall with his hands, right? 2 Timothy 1. Verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in, your, in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, 
And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Again, think of, the, of Timothy swelling up there with that encouragement. Paul is praying and he's remembering a time when Timothy cried, when he was pouring out tears, likely at Paul's departure. He's like, how in the world am I supposed to set up a church in Crete? How in the world am I supposed to set up a church in this place where there are 20 believers? And the apostle Paul said, trust God, I've got to go. And Timothy cried, and now he's remembering those tears, and he makes mention of it. How many of us would write a letter like that? How many of us would, would be ashamed at another brother's tears? And would do all we could never to mention again. That's sad. It's, that, that, is, um, that is one of the effects of friendship being destroyed between, between men today. Right? And here's Paul just pouring it on and, and encouraging this dear brother. Titus, another apostolic delegate just like Timothy. Titus 1, 4 to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Again, my true child in a common faith. My child, do the work, right? Do the work of setting up the churches. I left you there so that you could do this work. It's like saying, you can do it. Do it. Do, do the tasks that we gave you to do because God is faithful. Philemon. Look at this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. The hearts of the saints have become refreshed through you. I mean, what, what great praise, what glorious praise. In all of these letters, that's where the Apostle Paul starts. And notice how often it's connected to his prayers. He goes to prayer and he begins thinking not about, man, that church is screwed up and I need to pray that, you know, so-and-so gets off his duff and da-da-da-da-da. He begins by praying and thinking of their gifts, that they are children of God, that they've been called by God, right? How often do we approach people and think, okay, that's someone chosen by God before the foundations of the world and is glorious in the sight of Christ because of Christ's righteousness? But how many of you, like me, just immediately go to finding fault? You're, you're, you're always writing to the Galatians. And not, not doing as the Apostle Paul did here. And I imagine that the Apostle Paul learned this 
from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And so he is praising them because he sees God at work in them. He has faith to see God at work in other people. You know, he sees it. And he he loves it because that's his common Savior at work in other people. And he's praising it. Why do we not do this? Why Why are our souls so shriveled up that we can't do this? That we find it really hard? Well, I've got a list of 10 things here. 11! It's Puritan. It's full Puritan, this list. Right? 11 things. Why do we not do this? Why do we not build each other up with our words? Why do we always lead with criticism? Why do we not try to... um, and And I'm not asking you to flatter. Flatterers are wicked. Paul was not a flatterer. Flatterers lie to people to manipulate them to get them to do something for you, right? I'm not asking you to flatter. I'm asking you to start seeing Jesus Christ in other people. Start seeing his work in other people. And all you're doing, honestly, is praising Jesus Christ and praising his work in others, right? So um, why do we not do this? The first thing is our pride. We're proud. And when we're proud, our our entire life is summed up by this phrase. Why can't people be more like me? Ugh. Isn't that terrible? Why can't people be more like me? You remember the, the tax collector and the publican, right? I'm glad you haven't made me like other men. So we're like, why can't people be more like me? Why can't people drive more like me? You know, why can't people think more like me? Why can't people do this and that more like me? Why, 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 why? Right? And we immediately judge somebody and, and you know, know nothing about their lives. Nothing about the context of their lives and what things God has made them suffer. And why they may be where they're at. Or that they're afflicted. And they may just need some encouragement rather than some mocking. Second, why do we not practice praising others? Why do we not practice affirmation? Our self-righteousness. I'd never struggle like that. I mean, that's so stupid. I would never struggle like that. You believe you believe they look at pornography every week? I mean, I'd, I'd never struggle like that. Our double standard, number three, our double standard. We are easy on ourselves and very hard on others, aren't we? We go soft. We can rationalize the most wicked thing we've done in a week and we can see just a little speck in someone else's eyes and it's just everything to us. Right? We deflect working on our own souls by belittling other souls and making much of their sins. Fathers, we do that with our children. Mothers, we do that with our children. Fourth, 
We just like to take out our angst on others. If God's going to give us hard things, then we want other people to suffer with us, and we're going to make them suffer with us, okay? That's not the sort of, uh, you know, God comforts us in our afflictions, and we can comfort others with the comfort we've been comforted with. That's the very opposite, right? God has given us affliction, and so we're going to afflict others so they can be afflicted with the affliction with which we've been afflicted. Fifth, we're just punitive in our outlook. We are punitive. Our first thought is, this is wrong, that's wrong, this needs to be corrected, that's wrong. I mean, how many times, and, and look, I'm just taking my clothes off up here. How many times has my eight-year-old brought to me a picture and I point out a flaw first before praising that picture? I mean, I am so petty. I am evil. That is wicked. Right? It's an elephant. One of the legs is too short. Well, <laughs> oh man. Sixth, we're loveless. We are handicapped emotionally. We have cold hearts. We have cold, shriveled up hearts. And, and so we just, the thought maybe comes into our head to give somebody some building up, but then it's just kind of like the heart shrivels more and we just subsume that thought really quickly in our coldness. Now, or, or our insecurity. They don't, yeah, they don't need to hear that from me. I mean, may, may, hopefully someone else will mention it, but certainly not from me. So the lovelessness, insecurity, I guess that was seven. So it's now a list of 12. Um, eight, we're lazy. We're just plain lazy. We don't talk to people. We don't go out of our way to write a letter. We don't say to somebody who has labored on your behalf, right, thank you. You know, I see that you're, you're a very kind person, and you've been very kind to me. And that's just, that's been a rebuke to me, and that's been so helpful to me. And I'm not even talking about your brothers and sisters. I'm talking about your, your family physician, right? You've been so helpful to our family over the last 10 years. Every time we get sick, we see you and you help us. That's, that's so great that we can do this. Um, number nine, we're, we're self-centered, right? Our whole world revolves around ourselves. We want people to praise us. We have a vortex around us that's like a black hole and we want the gravitational pull coming this way, right? We don't want to give to others. We're just self-centered. We don't even think about other people and their afflictions and their needs and their glory and their works and their kindness and their sanctification which outpaces yours times eight and the works of faith that you see them doing. Uh, ten, we're hateful. We hate people. We hate people because people take time away from our idols. 
and the things we want to give our time to. And so we just, we hate that people would be, be interrupting our lives. Um, Eleven, we don't practice this in many cases because we have been unwilling to forgive other people who have sinned against us. And there are very strong denunciations of that kind of heart in Scripture. If you don't forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. Okay, and we, we become unwilling to forgive others and then, then um, that bitterness would never allow us to say anything good to that person ever for the history of our lives. And then last I had, we're not committed to the good of others. We're committed to our own lives. We're committed to um, our own comfort. We're committed to building up our own portfolio. We're committed to the things that we're involved in. But we are not committed to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church and all the things that they are committed to. We're just not committed. We show a, a soft interest in the things they're doing. So how was your week? You know, and we give a short answer and they're like, okay, that's about where I want and I don't want any more. I don't want to get sucked into your world. I don't want to have to offer you words of comfort and build you up, right? You're going to start talking about what was negative and not just the weather. And then I'm going to, I'm going to have to work, right? And so we just, we're not committed to the good of others. Very selfish, self-centered. So Scripture says, right, that we are to build one another up. Does it say that? Does Scripture say that we're to build one another up? It does, right? It does. It says it in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. There's Paul encouraging something and then saying, you're already doing it, just do it still more. You know, he does that with the Thessalonians. He's like, you're doing this, just, pers- you know, excel still more. What a great way to say it. What an encouraging way to say it, right? But, but there's the exhortation, encourage one another and build up one another. Romans 12.10, right? Romans 12.10, what does that say? If I got the reference right. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Oh, man. Devoted in brotherly love and then prefer others in their honor before your own. That that works against selfishness, doesn't it? That takes away self-righteousness in your pursuits. 1 Timothy 5.3 says... Honor widows who are widows indeed. Honor them. Right? If they meet these qualifications, right? Has children or grandchildren, right? They've, they've learned to practice. Or she's, um, where is it? She doesn't give herself to want and pleasure, right? She's, she's uh, washed the feet of the saints. She's not, over, not younger than 60, above reproach, right? Honor you're supposed to honor them, and, and is, just, is that just like, do you think that's just like, okay, let's add her name to the widow's list and, the, and then ignore her? 
Or do you really mean it's like honor her? We have widows in our congregation who would fit on this list. And they should be praised for their work of faith that they persevered through those, those grueling years, right? And continue now even to serve the Lord through their prayers and through the ministries of the church. And we should be like, you are, you are an honorable woman. And you should be praised in the gates, right? You should be praised. 1 Peter 3.7 says this, um, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Right? She's a fellow heir of the grace of life, as are every believer in here. They're fellow heirs of the grace of life, and we should be like, man, that is so cool. That is so amazing. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. He elected them before the foundation of the world. Okay, I, I need to show honor. God has done this work in this person. And I love God. And so I rejoice in this. And so we're to honor our wives as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now think of this. One day, because of God's work in you, in Christ's death and resurrection, you will hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. From the mouth of God himself. Well done, good and faithful slave. Do you feel like you've been a good and faithful slave? you feel like you've carried out the will of the Lord? No. No, you don't feel like it. And yet there's God going to commend you because of the righteousness you have in Jesus Christ. He'll say, well done, good and faithful slave. Right? And, and knowing that fact that God from his very mouth will give you, will call you that good and faithful servant, how sad it is that we can't commend our sons or daughters, our friends, our parents when they do something honorable. Or do some act of faith that corresponds to their maturity. A child may not be capable of donating money to fund a church plant, but they can read a book and bake a cake. Right? Will you start with criticism when you bite into that cake? Like me? Do you do that? Do you do that with others? Right? What's the risk if we don't do this? What's the risk if we just stay shriveled up in our hearts and our souls and in our pride and our pride keeps shutting down our mouths? We have some good thoughts, but our pride rushes in and says, no, no, don't open yourself up to that. That's scary. You know, don't be like that. What's the risk if we don't? Well, Love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Love covers sins, covers them up. Without love working its way out in our words, our praise, and at others, you know, praiseworthy aspects, 
sins lie there exposed and lead to estrangement. Sins will just be exposed. They'll, they'll lie there, they won't be dealt with, and eventually it will drive you apart from everybody else. Right? Broken relationships will lead, uh, will follow from not practicing the simple praise of others, as the Apostle Paul did. Also, if all is criticism, nothing is criticism. If all you do is criticize, nothing you say will have an effect on somebody else. They will not listen to you. They will not hear you, right? Um, it is only in the context of love that a rebuke, a criticism, right, or, or a serious uh, correction, it's only in that context that when it's received well, Right? This was, the, this was Pastor Tim Bailey to me. He loved me. He built me up. He gave me opportunities. He said, good job here and good job on this, even though I may not have been doing perfectly. But he was building me up, building me up, and then when he came and he smacked me, it was like, whoa, okay. I know he's committed to me in love. And now he's come to me and he's told me, I'm not going to share. <laughs> then it has an effect. Right? What's the ratio? What should be the ratio? Like 100 to 1 maybe? You were thinking like 3 to 1. Right? Because you're shriveled up in your souls. Right? If all is criticism, nothing is criticism. Right, a context of love allows actual criticism and helpful criticism to be received well. Also, what's the risk if we don't do this? You will create an environment ruled by fear of failure rather than joy in success and joy in faith and joy in victory and joy in all those little things where, where your child actually demonstrated some level of faith, Right? If you're, if you're never practicing affirmation, then, then you just you begin ruling by fear. And your children will, will not want to obey you because they love you. They'll, not, they'll want to obey you just because they don't want to get smacked again. And if we don't practice affirmation, brothers and sisters, we're all going to shrivel up and die. We're just going to shrivel up. Imagine if we didn't have in Scripture all of God's expressions of love that we luxuriate in. Imagine if He didn't express those things to us. Sinners, right? If He didn't come to us and, and give us His glorious promises and say that He loves us, right? That he, he sees us as the apple of His eye. His desire is for His people. I mean, think of, think of Ezekiel 16. Think of this, right? What a glorious example of God's, God's commitment to His Building up his children. Uh, Ezekiel 16.4, speaking of Israel, his people. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, 
nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up and became tall and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, you, yet you were naked and bare. And then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time of love, so I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine. Mine. Then I bathed you with water. I washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus, you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. I mean, we should be able to say that to every child of God. You're beautiful because of the splendor that God shared upon you through His Son, Jesus Christ. You are beautiful. Now, in that passage, their rejection follows that. And it's it just, the contrast is intense. It shows you that their rejection was on them, right? The next verse, but you trusted in your beauty. Now, that's not why God made them beautiful, that they would trust in it. No. No, and so that's on them, but look at what God did in beautifying them, plucking them out of their blood, out of the field, and setting them on high. Some of us are shriveled up because our parents never praised us, right? You had a parent, a mother or a father who never praised you, who beat you down, and, some, and that has led us to be small of heart and soul. Um, some of our children resent us and the discipline that we've had to bring to them. Right? And their hearts have shriveled up and they don't see any good in their parents' continued discipline. Some of our friends wander away because we have lacked giving them affirmation of any kind. Right? We've been critical. We presumed upon the friendship and we haven't sought to build them up. And so they've just wandered away and they've gone to places where, where they receive affirmation. But dear brothers and sisters... Practice this. Build one another up. Parents, 
Build up your children with words of affirmation. Praise them for the good things they do. And, and if you have to search for them, you'll find them, okay? Every little thing. Praise them for it, okay? God is, God, you are sitting enthroned on the, on, you, you, are, you are sitting in, in a status with God and luxuriating in all the glorious things He's done for you and said about you in Christ Jesus, right? You couldn't get through life without those things, Right? And so why would we think we, can't, we, we don't need to do this for others and show them Jesus Christ and show them that kind of building up? So let's do better. Confess your sins. Um, let's, let, let's just go around the congregation. Everybody come up and confess their sins like I had to do. Because I think we could all confess this as a sin. Right? There are people I know Ruth, my daughter, her middle name is Adrian. And Adrian McClavick is a friend of ours, and she practiced this all the time. The most sympathetic person I've ever known, and that's why Ruth is named after her. And hopefully, you will take after her, right? She's just right with you. She gives you the words you need at the right moment, right? And she'll rebuke you if need be, but she always will. Um, she was always affirming and such a good friend to Sarah. Let's be like that, right? Let's be like that to one another. Churches take on the characteristics of the man they hear preach. We do not praise one another, and that's because my sin is being visited on you. And I ask for your forgiveness. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would enlarge our hearts, that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see your glorious work in other people. Give us eyes to see your glorious work in our children. And as children, give us eyes to see the glorious work of our parents and their acts of faith and their provision. And Father, I, I pray that we would see it and then we would, we would speak of it. We would open our mouths and, and sing God's praises for His work in them, right? And then that we would be an example of this continually. Lord, help us to do this. Father, receive this confession of our body this morning and work by Your Spirit in us that we would be... Uh, that we would build one another up in love. Oh, Lord God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.